Welcome to Peer Innovation, the podcast with Leo Batari and me, Randy Cantrell. Building on our previous shows, The Year of the Peer and What Anyone Can Do, we turn our attention to helping business leaders build high-performing teams. We'll talk with a diverse group of thought leaders who will share stories and insights that will help you and your teams achieve new heights. If you believe there is strength in numbers and that meeting the challenges of the future can only be achieved if we do it together, then join us for the conversation. Cantrell. Here I am in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, just finished actually a, um, uh, a Vistage group meeting here. I'm actually have another one um, tomorrow uh, before heading back to um, you know California. But uh, it's kind of interesting traveling around the country, just seeing kind of what's going on and what's on people's minds and how different it is from one state to another and one municipality when you're seeing how they're dealing with COVID. Is it masks, no masks, you know, what that's looking like, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. So uh, how, how are things, um, you know, what's it look like in Texas right now, as far as people masking up or not, or what's that? Well, in the Republic of Texas, yes. <laughs> where we, where we kind of do our own thing. Yeah. The, you know, the mass, at the height, at the height of it, I would say really well, uh, high compliance. I'll put it that way. But, you know, honestly, that did not last terribly long. I think we've had people, I, clearly we've had people that never, that never did, even out of courtesy, you know, didn't. But now, uh, probably more rare to see people wearing masks than not. I'm curious for you traveling. And now that you've been traveling, has travel changed from the time that it reopened? What are the changes in airline travel from the first time you got on a plane when this all ended to say your most recent trip? Has anything changed? So two things. Um, One is when I went to the airport to fly out Tuesday morning after the Monday holiday, I've never seen so many people in an airport in a long time. So the, the, the traveler count was up for sure in a major way. And that was really kind of interesting to say, you know, to see it really kind of uh, took me back a little bit. Um, as opposed to getting handed a plastic bag with a tiny uh, bottle of water and a bag of pretzels and a, and a wipe of some sort, um, to get you across the country was pretty much how that was supposed to last you. Um, they actually have reinstated uh, non-alcoholic beverage service, you know, with the usual uh, selection of you know, limited snacks, but it's, it's getting there. It's, it's making progress. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an, that's an improvement. Well, you, we were talking before we hit recording and now that you're out and about and you're, you're certainly interacting with more people for me, things have always been dominantly virtual. So my personal, my face-to-face interactions have increased. And that really is just because I choose it. 
you know, so if I choose to go and spend some, spend a morning at, at city hall, you know, with city leaders, um, it's just kind of nice to do every now and again, but it really hasn't changed so much my interaction. So the scope and the scale of what you're hearing and, and the concerns and I mean, what, where are the pressure points? What are people fretting over? They're fretting over reentry. You know, some are at various stages of it. So a company I was at today, everyone's all back. They're all working in the office and all of that. Other companies, um, they're still remote. Others have it more of a hybrid model because people have wanted to come back. They've really felt that isolation and really feel like they want to at least have a place to go at least a few days a week with it, get out of the office. And, you know, if you're, you know, a small apartment living by yourself somewhere with crappy internet, you know, you're pretty much, yeah, um, I'll, take a little commute and at least feel like I can get out and about and uh, have it be a little more normal. So, so it's not, it's not the same for everyone by any stretch. I mean, that's the, that's the challenging piece of it. it. And I will say that this is where watching people work together in groups is really helpful because they really can bounce ideas one and off, off one another in real time. And, you know, this is, you know, this will be, you know, there'll be, hundreds of case studies written about this somewhere down the future, but we're living it now. And in order to get real time, um, you know, I think uh, input from people about what they're doing and how they're doing and for them to share their experiences, uh, you know, this is where I'm definitely seeing the groups be most helpful. Uh, Let's face it, I think it's like anything, you know, but during times of difficulty or crisis or something, um, this is where we need one another more. Uh, and I do think people leaned into their groups, anyone that could, you know, unless your, your business was completely threatened to go out of business, or you end up not being able to survive this. I think most, you know, CEOs or, and or key executives, you know, stayed with their group and really depended on and leaned into their group to help them get through uh, what they were doing. And I think a lot of them, are grateful for that. I go into meetings all the time where people are kind of reflecting on what that looks like, reflecting on what the group meant to them, reflecting on how their team responded. You know, at the same time, they were facing enormous personal challenges, how they were able to, you know, keep things moving forward and uh, and going on there. So everyone's just in a, in a weirdly different spot. You know, one of the issues that comes up is vaccination, right? What's what's our vaccination policy when it comes to people coming back to the office? Rutgers University, who, as you know, I'm uh, an adjunct for them, and I don't teach on campus primarily. Um, I will probably go in the fall, and because I teach a residency a couple times a year there, but this will probably be the first time I'll be back there in a while and do the residency, but the only way I'm gonna be allowed back is because I was vaccinated. Rutgers was the first university in the country to basically say, you wanna come back to school in person come September, then uh, you're gonna be vaccinated. And people were like, well, what if, um, you know, I, I don't wanna get vaccinated. And it's like, we well, can go to school somewhere else is pretty much the, you know. But, you know, New Jersey get really impacted uh, in a big way. And I think there's a lot of real um, caution around this about, making sure they keep people safe and that they can get people back to school, um, you know, in an in-person environment, um, you know, who, you know, are choosing to do that. So, um, you know, there's just, um, 
there's just yeah, a, a lot, lot of struggle there. So, so for companies, for example, it's like, okay, do we have a vaccination policy? Do we not? What does that look like? Um, you know, um, the, the, I, I think there's a lot of people that really fear is the job market is wide open right now. Uh, they feel like there's going to be a lot of movement. Nobody wants to lose their good people. You know, we've mentioned this before. You want to be the person at this end of it now who treated their people really well during COVID, because if you didn't, um, you're going to find yourself on the wrong end of that, um, you know, yeah. scenario going forward. The CEOs that <clears throat> in these groups, and, and of course, I don't know, is anything more galvanizing than being in a foxhole? you know, with, with other people, you know, so these CEO peer groups that, that you so regularly address, I mean, I can certainly see that, I mean, coming out of it, I would surmise that they're going to have a bond. They're going to have a, they're going to have a unique bond that the pandemic provided, you know, for all of them. There were some groups and, and plenty of them that were actually formed during the COVID period. Um, uh, you know, I, th I think um, Vistage launched um, like 52 new groups last year during COVID. I mean, think about that, right? Yeah. So it was the idea of people recognizing that they're better off as part of a group than being stuck out there alone. And I think when you looked at everything from various government programs to PPP loans to all kinds of things that were available, um, people needed a lot of guidance about how to you know, get their way through the system and how to uh, make sure that they were understanding whatever was being put out there to help them and to be able to maximize that. And, you know, to be able to do that together and to have someone in the group who may be, you know, just better equipped to be on top of that and could share that, excuse me, with their fellow members. It was an, it was enormous benefit. So, yeah. Um, and I think for those groups also, what tended to happen there was the groups didn't just meet like the typical once a month, full day, you know, take that retreat. You know, that the idea of the all day meeting is that you try to clear the decks, you know, and, and mentally, physically and everything. So you can take a day where you can do a full immersion with a CEO group to to really not just work in your business. Right. But this idea of working on your business and. Um, and to do that with peers. And, you know, that was taken away a little bit for a while by the necessity of needing to meet more frequently for less time uh, and help each other with the immediate fire, right? It's great to work on strategy, but if my kitchen is burning, I need to go to attend to that, you know? So I think this is what, you know, a lot of people did and they did it for one another and uh, they got to know each other better, more quickly, and it brought the group together. You know, I've had certain people will say, well, you know, we're a little behind. We don't have kind of this process quite down or this way of, um, you know, working through issues quite perfect yet. And I'm like, yeah, but your group is so ahead of the game because of how the bonds they formed so much more quickly and more deeply in this short period of time where everyone helped each other through through the storm, if you will, right? So I think there's a certain advantage to, especially new groups starting when they did, at least from the perspective of bonding uh, with one another. I think that that has been uh, absolutely evident. Um, and I think for those groups that have been along, around a long time, 
you know, for them, it's not even that far away when you think about the 2008 financial crisis. I mean, it probably seems like forever ago. But, you know, they recognized back then that that's when you need each other most is when times are toughest. And they not only helped each other prepare uh, more effectively for that storm that hit, because there were certain, obviously, early indicators in the economy where people who, because they represent various, uh, you know, industries in different parts of the economic, you know, web here, um, they just um, were able to keep one another apprised of what's going on, see the early warning signs, move forward with that. Um, you know, as we've said many times, we can complain about Zoom and the various tools, but Back in 2008, we're lucky that it wasn't a pandemic because we didn't have Zoom or Slack or Microsoft Teams. We had none of that. Um, people would have been dialing in on conference calls until their ears bled. You know, I mean, it just would have been ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I'd like to think that as we reflect on a lot of this stuff, and I think people are, um, first of all, they're reflecting and thinking about what went well, what do we be grateful for? What are some of the values? And what are the, some of the things that people exhibited that we want to make sure live on, you know, past COVID? But then it's how do we now organize slash reorganize in a way that keeps us really productive, has our employees really happy. Um, you know, Edelman just did a, um, a mid-year uh, trust barometer kind of update. And th there was a lot there talking about just the value of the employees. Um, now, it may seem obvious, but when you start comparing it to customers and investors and other major stakeholders there, the employees weren't always first on everyone's list. And now they're so uh, recognized as being essential to what makes a company a good investment, what makes it valuable to customers, and obviously what makes it important as far as people and a place to work. So I, I think there's a lot of um, kind of regrouping going on right now, maybe taking some good of what happened uh, during COVID when, you know, as we've talked about many times, so many more CEOs were asking, how are you doing? Not just, what are you doing? And and how do we keep that going? How do we do a really good job and maybe a better job treating each other as fellow human beings as opposed to fellow, as just colleagues, you know? Yeah. Well, and, so, and the technology has just broken down. I mean, there's no geographical barrier anymore. So if you're looking for, I mean, here in Dallas, Fort Worth. So if you're looking for high talent in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and the, and the work, if it can be done remotely, you're not limited to people who just live here in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, they, they could be anywhere. So the talent pool is greater and I'm encountering a, a number of business people who are thankful that the talent pool can be broadened because, well, I mean, I'm 64, but I've heard all my life every year how there's a talent shortage. There's a talent shortage. I mean, there's always a talent shortage. There's always been or a perceived talent shortage, real or imagined, you know, and so now I think whether it's a hybrid model or whether it's going all remote and, and the number of, I don't know, just anecdotally in, in the number of articles and things that I see online of, CEOs and, and entrepreneurs who have figured out now, you know what, I'm, I'm spending $400,000 a year in, in my lease. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather give that to humans. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather up the talent pool and pay that money to a, a, a person 
you know, as opposed to a landlord, there's something to that for some people where that fits their business model. Uh, I think, I think that's totally right. Um, you know, it, it shines a light on people, are, you know, are not only going to be competing with AI, but they're compete with other people all over the world in a way that is going to be, a, that's going to be upped again and then some, right? Um, and kind of shines a light on for, for anybody who's, you know, didn't really get too concerned over the fact that we're in the maybe high 20s, low 30s on PISA scores, you know, in terms of secondary education in this country and how we're just getting lit up by dozens of other countries around the world. Um, we need to get on that in a hurry. <laughs> we just flat out do, you know, I mean, we, we can no longer, this is truly getting to become a world stage right now uh, in ways that are going to be, um, you know, far more evident to us. Um, and yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's, well, I'll, I want to pivot back around to that because you've got this, you've got this enormous opportunity that's happening for you and for peer innovation in China. But before we get to that, I got to ask you before I forget, because you're the resident golfer here. So I'm watching the PGA championship, right? Of course, I, I even non-golfers like me are watching because of Phil Mickelson, but the crowd, that, that crowd situation at you know, at that last hole, the, the pent up emotions of that crowd, I, I don't, I can't imagine that we would have seen anything like that pre pandemic. It just oh, wasn't how, right. it, just, think... it, it just wasn't how golf crowds behaved, you know, but it was, it was as a spectator, I'm like, man, this, they're, they're out of they're out of control. Had to be scary for the golfers. And there was yeah. a whole confluence of circumstances around that that truly created something that was just um, frenzied. I mean, it yeah. really was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah. There what was, were you thinking? No, I, I think that I think that very thing. I think there's a lot of pent up. You know, um, you know, I'll be in Boston in June, and I'm finally going to get back to Fenway Park after not being there in a while, but. And the good news is as of Memorial Day weekend, it's going to be full house there now. It's not going to be like whatever percent capacity or anything, because who wants to go do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but to be but to be there and get the full experience of it, that's going to be really cool. And we're going to start getting a lot more of that, the most shared experiences. You're looking at movie theaters opening up around the country and, and people just excited to get out and... <laughs> Yeah. And do that. You know, they've been like yeah. uh, cabin fever's over. Yeah, stir crazy doesn't begin to uh, to touch it. You know, um, yeah. when you mentioned though about um, the the China thing, and I know where you're going on on that one, but you also said about how things have gotten smaller and so much it takes the geography out of it. You know, it's the it's the meeting days where I had three workshops in a row, right? I did the Toledo, Ohio in the morning, did Canada in the afternoon, did Australia at night. Right. You know? I mean, who, who does that in a normal, I mean, it was just an amazing, I referred to it as kind of a little time zone hopscotch, you know, it was already the following day in Australia when I was doing that evening program and, or the day that I had that party, if you will, it was kind of an, it was basically an event in Guangzhou for young entrepreneurs that were looking at peer innovation and had some real curiosity, 
curiosity about that. It was kind of a little, you know, launch event. Uh, and, but that, so I joined that event at 10.45 p.m. Pacific time. Just mm-hmm. made some opening welcome remarks, that kind of a thing, and, and said hi to everyone, and that was that. But at 5.30 in the morning earlier that same day, that's where I was on um, the um, IG um, Karamidis' um, podcast out of the UK, um, who, who, as I mentioned, he was out of the UK. He speaks, he, he was, he, I think he was living, he's lived in Italy, um, but I don't think he's Italian. I, and, and I think it's, um, I, I don't want I'm not going to guess his nationality, but um, it was so funny because he, he would, when he pronounced my name, I told you it was Leo Bottari. And I'm like, you pronounce it better than I do. I said, I love it. Yeah. I said, I'm yeah, we're going to stick with that. that. I'm going to stick with yeah. that. No, but I mean, it, and it is kind of exciting and really cool when, whether it's me or anyone, when your work can really get exposed to a much more global audience, that makes it, that makes it really kind of fun. Oh yeah. No, yeah. it's awesome. It's often, it's awesome. Culturally. I'm, I'm surmising. So based on your experience, educate me. I mean, we're, we're still people. The language is different. Cultural customs mores all that stuff i get are different but still it's about human connection and it still is about i would think it still is about human collaboration and this shared experience and and the insights and things that we can gain from one another i don't care if you're in china i don't care if you're in north america i don't care where you are i mean am i wrong no i mean you have some cultures i mean clearly the u.s is much more of an individualist culture than China would be much more collectivist at the same time, to your point about us all being human, some of us are either going to be wired to be really open and vulnerable and share with people and some of us aren't. Yeah. <laughs> Period. You know, there's, right. there's no getting around that. Um, I think you have to just be in a situation in a group of people in a, for lack of a better word, kind of a controlled environment where you're feeling like, okay, we're in this bubble, it's safe here, we can truly be open and recognize that we're not the only one in the room that has questions or issues or problems or challenges or opportunities in front of us. And, you know, what we can do for and with one another is, is really remarkable. And once people kind of get a window into that and discover it, you know, it's, it's, it's really special and really neat. The, it's been interesting to watch since the power appears was written in 2016 and, um, you know, I, I think a lot has come, and I, I'm not attributing it to that book by any means at all. I think there's a lot of things going on in the world that have contributed to uh, the fact that there are more people starting peer groups today. Uh, some people are, you know, kind of almost in the following Bill George and True North groups, just starting their own groups, or there's companies springing up all over the place, uh, particularly when it comes to entrepreneurial companies, you know, startups, things like that, where people recognize there's a lot of decisions and a lot of things to be done here. And I'd really like to make as few mistakes possible. And, you know, I at least want to be surrounded by some people who we can kind of guide each other and help each other as we're all, you know, going through what we're going through. And um, so I think slowly but surely we're getting better and better at that, despite political divisiveness, despite a lot of other things, you know, with your work in, in, I mean, even if you just look at your work with, uh, 
with Canada and here in, in the States, I mean, just those two cultural differences in any other commentary that you want to make, I'm curious about the whole, the quest for the quest for safety, the quest for psychological safety. I would surmise that one of the big differences because of the cultural differences might be that might be in how we, how we go about trying to establish that. And I could see that that might be, well, it would seem to me that that might be more difficult in a place like China than it would in a society as open as, open as ours. Mm. So the, the, the big thing that I've seen between groups in Canada, CEO groups in Canada, for example, and CEO groups in the U.S., and it's subtle, I don't want to overstate this too much, but when you look at, there are basically three things that make a group really work and have the right people, right? One is you have to have a shared common purpose for why you're there. Both are important to both. The second is you have to have shared values and behaviors and traits that will make you a good contributing member to the group. And the third is really you want the diversity in the group of whatever diversity you can create so you have all the voices around the table that will help um, you, know, you drive a, a valuable experience. U.S. groups, I would say, on average and slightly, lean toward the diversity part as being really important where a lot of the groups in Canada lean more toward um, the shared values piece. Um, their feeling on that is that you have to have the shared values part because you can bring someone from another industry sector, another practice area, another, you know, whatever, you know, way the diversity cuts, right? But if they don't have the shared values piece, if they can't be a good contributing member, then it's just never going to work out. And I think they're right. You know, I think that 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 is that is truly fair. And it, like I said, I think the there's a bent uh, slightly on one side to the other for U.S. versus Canada groups, but they both recognize that both are important. Um, and uh, you know, I think with regard to uh, psych psychological safety, I think they both groups. They're just, everybody's trying. Everyone's trying the best. Everyone knows yeah. um, that, like I said, when I've used the metaphor about the pool of water at the spa, everyone knows that if they were full into it, it would be the most incredible experience in the whole world. They just aren't always willing. You know, they just will sit next to it and read a magazine right. <laughs> or dangle their feet in the water, you know. Yeah. But, but to get people to truly let go and to truly allow them to receive what's available uh, to them so that they can be open to uh, listening and they can be more curious and ask better questions and uh, learn more about themselves and others. Uh, you know, I, that's what, it just takes time. It just have takes you time. Sen have, you, have you sensed any shift because of the pandemic and because of the, the kind of the pent up siloing that might have been necessary during a pandemic that now that we're emerging from it? Are you, are you are you sensing that CEOs in particular might be even more open, you know, to diversity or might be more open to, for lack of a better word, might be op more open to the input and the experiences of somebody completely outside their realm? Oh, I think they are. First of all, this is really funny. The call that was coming in from Italy. I have no clue who that would be, but well, but here we are. We should have heard, we should have had him pronounce your name though. That, that's this is this world um, that we're living. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. Ask the question. Well, of the siloing that happened during the pandemic, 
Oh, the diversity piece? Yeah, yeah the, the emerging from that, is there a pent-up demand for people to not be quite as siloed? Because, well, we know what that felt like, and that didn't feel too good. Yeah, there's a diversity piece and the siloed piece. The diversity piece is, yes, we need a lot more voices at the table, but but the inclusion piece and 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 actually even taking it a step further and creating a sense of belonging, um, I think is very top of mind with people and the necessity um you know of leveraging that really becomes important uh when it comes to silos i think there could not be a better time to work on your cross-functional work team i realize that's out of self-interest maybe from my standpoint but you know the bottom line is that you know if you could take what peer advisory groups do so well and apply it to your cross-functional work team and actually get them functioning at least as well as your average ceo peer advisory group does it would be leaps and bounds over anything um, that that cross-functional work team is doing together right now. It would help break down those silos. It would build, you know, a spirit of cooperation and collaboration that would transcend these territorial battles that people have over people, budgets, and pet projects within their particular departments. And and people would have a lens into what's going on in the organization, so that when it came to making certain decisions, you'd have the right people involved from the beginning so that you wouldn't have something that happened in one department, you know, find out it adversely affected, um, you know, some somewhere else. And by the way, those things aren't always in real time. That could be something I do today that we don't see for six months, you know, and, and then now no one even knows where to retribute it. They don't, they, they're not even following it. So, you know, I think both of those things are, are hugely important. And it, it is amazing to me the number of, of companies that absolutely admit about how siloed they are. And uh, talk about talk about being able to make a difference. And if you could remove that, what a, what a difference, right? I mean, just well, think about standing in really tall grass and not being able to see, see over the yeah. top, how that would right. feel. That's how people are operating in their yeah. jobs, you yeah. know? Well, in the market, the market and the economy are going to kind of force our hand those of us that, you know, may be tempted to remain siloed or, or, or survive in organizations where that's, that's their department. I mean, that, that seems to me to be quickly, it, it's by necessity having to go away for the simple reason that we talked about earlier talent. I mean, the talent pool, I, I don't know the, the high achievers that I know they, they really don't want to operate that way. They really don't enjoy operating that way. They, they want their voice heard and they've, especially some of the up and comers, the younger folks who, who want to have a voice at the table also have a degree of, I don't know, a, a sense about them that, well, if I want that, then I need to give way. Cause I know my counterparts, they also want the same thing. So we kind of have to have a tolerance for one another. You know, I think that this tight labor market thing, um, so for the lack of, I think I think it's overplayed and, and I really do. And I know a lot of people get upset to hear that, but I think the reality is that there are some professions, there are some trades, there are some um, skills that are, um, that we don't have a, enough people for. And I get that, but short of that, take, you know, 90 some odd percent of all the other jobs out there. And we lack the imagination and a decent system to match people with uh, open positions. 
We, we just do. I mean, we have this ridiculous system that is, is, is designed largely to weed people out. Um, and that's what we do. And we cast really great people aside um, for jobs. And then we complain that we can't find the right person for the position because what they're looking for and how they're looking for it is completely ridiculous in so many respects in terms of uh, finding people that would have the skills and the will and the passion and everything else to be really successful at your organization. I mean, think about the people that are just aren't even considered. We've talked about this, whether it's, um, uh, you know, uh, women have left the workforce that are trying to get back to work, whether it's older uh, people, whether it's, um, I mean, you name it. I mean, there's so many uh, well, it's military um, military personnel, I mean, people that find it difficult to get jobs because um, they're not even part of that pool. And I think if people got a lot better about considering um, that there's some amazing people out there who are willing and wanting to work, who absolutely have the skills. And by the way, and, and, and there's a lot of jobs out there that what's really important is these people have the things you can't teach people, you know, other stuff you can learn. But the mm -hmm. things that, um, you know, some other folks have, you can't teach that. And there's not, there are no, there are no degrees on, you know, in, there's no integrity yeah. degree. There's no, you know, I mean, it's just. Yeah, but, pe but people, a lot of people are, are largely hiring. They're hiring for that. They're, they're hiring for that knowledge. They're hiring for some technical prowess. They're hiring for the, they're hiring for the thing that can be taught as opposed to the things that are learned because people have had some experiences. Right. No, no, no. I, I, I submit to that. I mean, I get that there are certain fields, in, you know, in engineering and technology and all where we literally lack the number of people to fill open positions. I don't think that's most. No, I don't either. Problem. I agree with you. You know, so, but anyway, well, it's, a new, it's, a, some, it's a new day. So it's a new day. And by the way, um, so that they don't have to, you know, listen to us do the show about nothing, which we decided we would do. It's like a right. Seinfeld episode for us. Uh -huh. uh, but think about Tina Martini. Uh, think about Eddie Turner. Uh, think about the fact that we got uh, Chris and, and Peter, um, guys mm -hmm. that I'm working with in China who are, um, you know, amazing. And they're both going to be on the show. Um, and we've just got some really good shows coming up, uh, talking about some really great topics. Um, and we'll find out their real first names, which is not Chris and Peter, probably. Well, maybe they're, <laughs> but you know, or yeah. Um, but think about, you know, we've got, um, uh, just, just some good topics when you think about what, you know, Tina, Eddie and, um, yeah. Chris and Peter can talk. Well, about. and you talk about a diversity of, of people. There you um, go. We're, yeah. yeah. We are intentionally to our audience. We are intentionally trying to bring voices from from a lot of a lot of different areas of the world, geographically and otherwise, which which is really enlightening for me, for a guy stuck stuck largely doing Zoom meetings in Dallas, Texas. So, yeah, I the Texas California thing. We need to branch out. You know, so <laughs> yeah, <it's okay. laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh -huh. Well, we appreciate the audience for for hanging with us. Um, the website is peernovation.co. You can also go to Leo Batari. That's L-E-O-B-O-T-T-A-R-Y.com. I can't say it with an Italian accent. I could, but it would sound, it would sound Italian with a Texas drawl. So that won't work. 
Yeah. So I won't even try. That'd be Southern Italy. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be Southern <laughs> Italy. That's exactly that's exactly right. We appreciate you listening. We hope you're a subscriber. If you're not, well, what's your problem? Get with the program. And we uh we really hope that you'll tell a friend. So I'll give you the last word, Leo. Hey, just um everybody uh continue to say stay safe. We are um kind of riding out the rest of this. It'll be wonderful just to see more of you soon in person and um and just uh be well and we'll uh, we'll see you next week thank you for joining us to subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how you can engage peer innovation for your organization contact us on the website at peernovation.co Till next week, remember, the power of we begins with you.